Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, greetings and again, welcome. I want to welcome those that will be joining us online from around the globe tonight. And also want to say a welcome to our, our friends in the Northeast at Yeshu Mendeley, one of our churches that you had saw, the Pastor David Pastors, that's uh, joining us tonight as well. Our intention this weekend was to make you aware of some of the church partners and ministries we are serving within our own country. Along with that, my hope is to remind you of our call to discipleship as Christians. As I was preparing the message, I felt a word from the text jumped out at me very clearly. And as I reflected upon this, I found it was the key that would bring the framework for the message today. You have seen and heard firsthand of what God is doing in our country through our partners and through Pastor David and the partners we have in the Northeast. I would even go as far as saying that now you are witnesses of these ministries, of these people, of these churches. And throughout my life, I've always had an affinity towards law-type courtroom drama, TV and, and movies. I still remember the first time I ever read To Kill a Mockingbird. It was, it was written in 1960, and it was one of the only books in the early 70s when I was at school that I actually got into and actually finished reading. When I watched the movie, it, it came even more to life. The drama recalling Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch, the defense lawyer defending his client and bringing the judge and jury into the knowledge and the details of the case and calling witnesses and all the pieces of the puzzle. I remember TV shows like L.A. Law and Boston Legal, movies like The Lincoln Lawyer and A Few Good Men, and even recently uh, the TV show The Good Wife. And as I recalled these programs and remembered the interactions with the storylines, the phrase I kept coming back to that was kind of captivating to me was this, you may call your next witness. Now it was a a theme in most of these interactions and and when I watched them. And this is where my mind and my experience has kind of met face to face with the scripture text we'll be exploring tonight. And I felt that we were called to move into this realm to study it. The key word for me again is witness. Stuart Briscoe quotes in his book, Getting Into God, a witness is someone who by explanation and demonstration gives audible and visible evidence of what he has seen and heard without being deterred by the consequences of his action. Our text for this weekend has been Acts 1, 7 and 8. It says this, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, friends, the book of Acts is a witness to the exciting story of the spread of Christianity throughout the world. And Acts 1.8 is another form of the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. However, before I move forward, I know many of you that are, that are here tonight watching this are wondering, what is the big triangle doing on the stage? Well, I've always wanted to say this, and I've never been in a court of law before. For if it pleases the court, I'd like to introduce Exhibit A. 
When Jesus taught, he lived in an oral culture where books were limited and technology was not present. And if there was books, they were very expensive. And so information was passed on through the oral tradition. People had great capacity to hear and remember. And over time, this gave way to a written culture and people's brains were changed so that they could remember a lot of information by reading it. Now, this, this is uh, what neurological studies show that our brains process information this way, but we've come to know and call them icons as we interact with information. Therefore, memories and are stored and encoded in ways that are not either oral or written. So the idea of attaching an image, a visible reminder of the teachings of Jesus in Scripture is in line with the way that our brain's wired. And to be honest with you and transparent, this is part of the way that I learn and remember things. So if not for my own sake, please indulge me as you may see how this interacts with the teaching of the Scripture and the lessons tonight. I have a few observations as we look at this text tonight. My first observation is this. The disciples were a witness to the life of Jesus Christ. Now you're saying, well, Wayne, that's not rocket science. That's not new to me. You're right. And there's been much research and differing opinions on the amount of, the time, amount of time that the disciples spent with Jesus. Recently, I read that one calculation that, that is three years he spent in ministry. He spent 18 full months with the disciples. 18 full months. I said to one group this week that that's one long mission trip, day in and day out with the same amount of people. And I thought, could I do that with Pastor Henry? 18 months? I I could, because he's probably watching. So I, I would, Pastor Henry, I would. He leads me to believe that the disciples had in depth, upfront evidence and witness to Jesus and how he and how he lived and acted in his life. Acts 1, 22 to 21 and 22 shows that a witness must have been seen or been with Jesus in real life in the book of Acts. And his last words to them were Matthew 28, as I already said, go and make disciples. And then he reaffirms these words in, in Acts 1.8 when he says, you now will be my witnesses. So what did they witness in the life of Jesus? Now there's much that could be discussed on this, probably an entire year's worth of messages and study. However, I'd like to show you in the book of Luke to what I believe the disciples witnessed as a consistent lifestyle on a regular basis that Jesus lived. And I'd like to mention that the concepts that I'm sharing here tonight are from Mike Breen's book, Building a Discipleship Culture. Now, and this witness, friends, from the text and from Jesus' life, is a model for us as we model after Jesus' life. And here's the the crux of it very quickly, okay? Three words, up, in, and out. Say it with me. Great. Look, you're interacting with the sermon. It's awesome. Okay? On the screens, you'll see Luke 6, 12. Let me explain this. One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent, and spent the night praying to God. Now, friends, we also read this in other portions of the, tes- of the text in the New Testament. So what did the disciples witness with this fact? Well, Jesus had up with, in his life. Jesus, we see Jesus praying. We see Jesus connecting with the Father. We see very clear that he says, I am here to do what my Father has asked me to do and nothing more. And so this up part of his relationship with, his heavenly, with the Heavenly Father is majorly important. And that's what the disciples saw. 
And it wasn't just a small piece, it was a major piece of his life and how he lived it. We continue in the text from verse 13 to 16. It says, when the morning came, he called his disciples to him and and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a a traitor. So again, the question is, is what did the disciples witness? Well, friends, Jesus had in in his life. He, he had a relationship with, with, a, with a few people, had 12 of them, and had deeper relationships with three of them. And so what does he do? He eats with them. He does life with them. He interacts with their families. There's a depth to his relationships with these people that was inspiring, that it wasn't just a secondary thought. It was an intentional, intentional part of his life to spend inward with a core bunch of folks. So when we continue in the text, we look at verse 17 and following. He went down with them and stood on a, on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So what did the disciples witness and experience in this? As we see, he said that he went down with them. So Jesus had out in his life. He never lost sight of his father's commandment to love one another, to go out into the world, to reach out. And how did he do that? He took his in crowd with him and he went out and met the people where they were. He went, and inter- he went and interacted with them. He healed their diseases. He went to where they were at the point of need. There was a connection without that he never lost track of. And friends, if we were to be a witness in a life that's modeled this way, we certainly can do that. We can live up, in, and out just like Jesus did. And we can be that witness day in and day out of how we live our lives. An old legend is told uh, that some angels who had gathered around the Lord Jesus after he returned from earth started asking him some questions. And one of the questions was, Lord, how are you going to spread the gospel throughout the world? The Lord said, well, I have called out some disciples to carry out my great commission. They in turn will go and share this wonderful message with others who will respond. They in turn will go and share this message with others and they will respond. And they will share that with others who need to be saved. And the angel said to him, are you telling me that you've entrusted the task of getting out the message of eternal life and salvation to the earthlings? You're counting on them to be your witnesses to the gospel message and take the gospel around the world? Jesus said, that's correct. The angel said, well, Lord, if they don't fulfill your mission's mandate, what is plan B? And Jesus said, angel, there is no plan B. My second observation, friends, is we as disciples are called to be witnesses. When asked if he was about to restore the kingdom to Israel, Jesus reminds his disciples in verse 7 that it is not for them to know when the kingdom will be restored. Rather rather than them knowing the times and dates that God had planned, it seemed that Jesus pointed more towards the word of being a witness to the good news of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the earth. 
It did not seem important about the timing and the kingdom restoration as much as it was about them being witnesses. And friends, when we go into the entire book of Acts, the word witness is a very important word. In fact, it's used 29 times, either as a verb or a noun. A witness is one who tells what he has seen and heard, as recorded in Acts 4.19 and 20. Our English word martyr comes from the Greek word translated witness. Many of God's people throughout the ages have sealed their witness by laying down their lives. And in verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. You should be my, the witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, let, us, let me bring you back to the triangle as we look at some of the, the big themes in the book of Acts. And so I just want to point out the first three chapters as it, it is laid out. First of all, we see in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus goes up. He ascends to heaven to be with the Father. Then we see in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit comes down and gives the disciples the power. The Holy Spirit comes in them, as we read in the New Testament, that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, so it's indwelled. And then in chapter 3, when we look at the text, we see the disciples going out. Because of this up and in, they're able to go out. And friends, you are sitting here today. If you're a Christian, you're sitting here as a descendant, I would say, of the disciples then. Because the church exploded. We're part of that faithful following of going out, empowered by the Spirit, to change the world. There was no plan B. These disciples did what God asked them to do and multiplied their efforts. So, as a, as in the next step with this theme of, of the trial, per se, is I want to call another witness, and that witness is Paul. Now, I want to take a look in an example of his life on his missionary trip as recorded in Acts chapter 13, and verses 13 to 50. It's a great, he is a great witness in a couple of different ways as he interacts with different people at different times. So I'm just going to choose one for our time tonight. But Jews, in, he was visiting with and interacting with the Jewish folks in the synagogue at Antioch of Pisidia in Acts 13. Paul reviewed the history of the Jewish faith, summarizing it from the Old Testament. So he inter starts interacting as a witness to these individuals, taking what's very important to them, the Old Testament, and starts summarizing it, bringing it into context for these folks. Then Paul... In, in, uh, continues to tell how the history of the Old Testament leads to Jesus Christ in verses 22 to 37. He then points out to his audience the need to accept Jesus as their Messiah in 38 to 41, and then he responds to their resistance by clearly explaining the alternative. So Paul stands as a witness to their questions, and he gets into this dialogue he has prepared himself on the different groups of people and specifically with this group of Jewish folks at the synagogue. So what do we witness by this interaction Paul has with these people? Well, in verse 43, it's very clear. It says, many chose to follow the way of Christ. So there was an acceptance of this. However, others reacted negatively and opposed Paul in verse 45. Troublemakers incited city leaders to persecute Paul and his companions in verse 50. And all through this text, we come to understand that being a witness is not that easy. 
It's not without its persecution in tough times. I wish so many times when I had witnessed, you know, either proclaiming the word or my testimony that there was a better response to it. But it's not always been like that. And it wasn't like that with Paul. But it's about the faithfulness of us being the witnesses that Jesus needs us to be in this world. As my second witness, I want to call Philip. Going back in Acts 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 26 and following, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It would seem to me, by the text, that, that Philip's a good witness, a good example of a witness. Philip gets this word from God and says, go to the south road. And it doesn't seem to say that he had to poke or prod, that he had to push Philip to do these things, to have a response to this commission. We read that the Spirit prompts him to go over and he asks a question to the Ethiopian eunuch. He starts to interact with them. This leads to this deeper discussion. And then Philip starts sharing the good news. And then we also see as the text goes on that this man turns and is baptized. So this witness of interaction with people is a call that we have in our lives. And as I made mention earlier, the modern use of the word witness often functions in a legal context giving testimony in a court case. As the disciples gave their testimony in various speeches, sermons, and other teaching opportunities, they offered evidence concerning who Jesus is. They were a witness to be called on to, to share that truth with others. This is a, an old illustration that I've heard many times when I first got into ministry. And it says this, if you were arrested, friends, for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Can you imagine how we would feel sitting in a dock, having to listen to, to witnesses give their testimony about us, giving firsthand evidence of the way we live, how we are, how we talk, and how we've lived our lives as Christians? Imagine a whole host of witnesses ready to take the stand, your friends, your family, children, parents, colleagues, those who know us best. What kind of evidence would they give? as us as Christians. My third observation is that we as witnesses are shown where to go, both personally and corporately as a church. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I draw your attention to the triangle as we look at Scripture from Acts 1.8. Again, you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is our strategy of global ministries, using words like this, local. So we, we work locally, nationally, the national uh, perspective in our country, which we're talking about tonight, and internationally. And so we kind of use that triangle again to remind us, and see, this is our church's marching orders, friends, right? It's a strategy of working in these areas, and, and primarily we as a church work through local churches that reach into the community to be God's hands and feet in that community to show the love of Christ in those ways he's called them to live. In fact, I was reminded of seeing this model described as this. Jerusalem is across the street. Samaria is across the tracks. Judea is across the country. Ends of the earth is across the world. With this in mind, I'd like to focus our remaining time on Judea and Samaria, henceforth why we call this weekend O Canada. In the most recent edition of Pray for the World, a resource from Operation World, I read the following statistics and information about our country. 
First, that Christian influence in Canadian society has continued to decline. The non-religious population grew the most as Christians left the church. But other religions grew quickly through immigration and high birth rates, leading to the statement that the fastest growing religion in Canada is Islam. Evangelical churches were 25% of the population in the early 1900s, but are only 8% per day today. While some evangelical and charismatic groups do grow, again, the overall Christian population loses influence for the gospel on a regular basis. Words like evangelical, born again, make people suspicious. Media can show hostility towards Christianity. Along with more liberal beliefs of God in the Bible, it makes the statement true to what the research says. And friends, what it leads me to think is, is that we need revival in our country. Too often we've centered, you know, we've centered ourselves, too much we've centered on ourselves. Or even the belief that the funding that the church does needs to go exclusively to missions overseas. Early missionaries for the church were supported by the local church and still are supported by the local church today. Their job was to go out and start new congregations, change workers, train workers, see hearts changed for Christ, keep the church going, and then be moved on by the Spirit to do it again in another community and start the work again. That's one of the mandates that God has called us to do as a church. That is our mission, is to come alongside partners and church plants and missionaries as they do the work within our own country. Brad Friesen made a quote in response to Pastor Henry's State of the Church address when he stated that our primary model for funding mission and global ministries will be through the local church. And Brad said this, the church is the sustainable presence of Jesus in a community. I'll say it again, the church is the sustainable presence of Jesus in a community. This weekend, we celebrate our great nation of Canada and how God is consistently calling believers across the nations into relationship with him, relationships with others in his body, and to reach the country and tell them of his greatness. And we as a church are going to be looking at more ways of fulfilling this mandate and reaching our country in the days and years ahead. So, Corporately, how is CSC being a witness to our country? Well, first of all, through our partners who you've met tonight, they're a witness with, like Pastor Sam spoke of Richmond, Pastor Justin in Winnipeg and the work he's doing there. The other folks that were not able to join us tonight were our two churches in Montreal and our one missionary on the ground in a lower income area of Montreal, plus the new work that we are working with in a church, multi-site church in Quebec City. Pastor Shane rounds out our work in Canada over in Halifax. And others not here today. We have missionaries that are working in First Nation people groups. We have a house church movement under John Pritchard that is going from coast to coast. You saw the video of Brad and Pastor David and the partnerships that we want to be part of these churches in Canada. And specifically here who are reaching Samaria in the northeast part of Calgary on where it's the fastest growing religion again is Islam. Last weekend, I had the privilege of preaching at a new forming Ethiopian church. It was an incredible experience for me. At the end of the service, those folks thanked us so much that CSC, you know, would care. They felt that somebody was there to help them along in the plight that God's called them to. See, their calling 
as Ethiopian Canadians is to reach Ethiopian Canadians. And they said that there is a thousand plus in their language group here in the city. And that they want to be involved in active ministry here in the Northeast and in the Northwest with a dream of sending more back to Ethiopia to spread the good news. We also bear witness with others in Canada, friends, through our generosity projects and giving. And because of your generosity, because of your faithfulness, we on the executive team, coupled with the board and Global Ministries, were able to grant over $90,000 worth of generous giving projects in Canada just this month. Projects like helping Pastor Shane get his church up and running. Last year, we helped Pastor Justin and the International Place of Friendship get set up. We've been able to help our partner churches like Pastor Sam kind of look at how they're doing ministry and sending teams and and other things. We're also sending over $120,000 to projects around the world that will make an impact for Jesus Christ. Pastoral projects and training, building projects like roofs for the earthquake-stricken Nepal, Bibles and Bible translation medical equipment, freedom session training and development, building purchases, and more and more. In fact, even as of this week, our witness overseas, because of your generosity, we will be able to send $33,000 in the next couple of weeks to the refugee crisis overseas through our partner agencies. See, friends, we see on the horizon more opportunities to work both in our country and pray that the statistics that we've seen would be reversed, and that we would see our Christian influence come back to predominance, and we would be the witnesses that he has called us to be, wherever he has called you to serve. So as we close our service today, I'm going to invite Brad to come up and lead us in a closing response in prayer to this challenge of us being the witnesses we need to be locally, nationally, and internationally with a focus on our country. Last year, uh, following Pastor Henry's generosity series, we launched an initiative called What's in Your Pocket, an offering to help offset costs at Christmas time for our partners. This year, we felt with our focus on Judea and Samaria, that part of Acts 1-8 in Canada, that we would bear witness to five ministries and support them in a tangible way as they bring the good news of Jesus in various locations and ministry settings. So as you leave tonight, Drop your loonies and your toonies and your fives and your tens and your twenties in the foyer and the baskets there. And we're going to make sure that money gets to our partners across the country so that we can see his kingdom built here. Also, as you leave tonight, say hi to our guests. They are our family in Canada from coast to coast. And I know they would appreciate meeting many of you tonight, as well as the new Canadian Friendship Center and the new thrift store uh, opening next week. We ask you for prayers, and if you'd be interested in helping out, we'd love to meet you. Let me pray for you. Father, you have heard our prayer. We have heard your word And now, Father, as Pastor Henry last last week said, we can't be just hearers of the word. We need to be doers. So, God, I pray that you would instill each one of us to understand that we are called to be your witness in our country, across the street, across this country. And, Father, I pray, God, for these your sons and daughters as they leave from this place, that they would be filled in a new hope and a new desire to be that witness, to love those that you put in our paths. 
We thank you, God, for our church. We thank you, God, for our nation. And ask the Lord that you would do immeasurably more than we could ever hope or imagine in the days and years to come. We praise you and thank you in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.